0: tonight we're incredibly privileged. I said that we've got two heroes that are going to be sharing tonight. And the first of that, those heroes is Lynn Dengate. And uh, what, what can I say about Lynn that's not going to take forever because there's so much that I can say about Lynn? Um, Bible says that the meek will inherit the earth. And I think that meek is a misunderstood term. I think meek people kind of perceive meekness as weakness, but it's not. Meekness literally means strength under control. And uh, Lynn Dengate is the personification of meekness, an incredibly capable an incredibly intelligent woman, but she associates with anybody and everybody she doesn 't just discriminate uh, you know, she 's not well i 'm only having intellectual conversations, so i 'm only going to be associating with intellectual people but you know and she 's had an incredible uh, incredible faith journey and, and planted churches with her husband, Reg, and, uh, you know, so we're going to hear from a, just an incredible font of wisdom. So why don't we give a massive Centro welcome to Lynn Dengay.
1: Hello there. <laughs> I don't know how I could possibly live up to that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, It's a great privilege, actually, to have the opportunity to speak up here. So my topic tonight is engaging with the world. So firstly, a bit of an introduction. Who am I? Well, you know I'm Lynn Dengate. But my primary identity is that I'm a Christian. I was saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ at 26 years old. I was on a 10-month honeymoon with Reg. (laughs) can you imagine what that's like (laughs) obviously there's a lot going on in my life at that point in time because most people don't take 10 months for a honeymoon so Reg and I were traveling around Australia and at that point in time God used my new marriage my incredibly long honeymoon with everything going on there and a very serious illness to get my attention so at the point he got my attention, I was so totally overwhelmed with my inability to measure up to who God is, what he expected of me, what, um, what his requirements were of anybody. And I just had no way of getting myself to God. I had no way of fixing myself up. I was one of those people, if you looked at it at the time, and it's a while ago 34 years you'd say wow she's got a lot of issues that was what you'd think you mightn't say it out loud but that was what I radiated to everyone and I truly did have a lot of issues so God got my attention he persevered with me when I had deliberately rejected him on so many occasions. So many times I flatly said, no, I don't want to be a Christian to him. I'd felt him tugging on my heart. I'd felt him um, uh, making every effort for me to take me forward and I'd rejected him. But the, the great thing is God didn't give up on me. And I suppose um, I'm, so, I'm so absolutely thankful I've never lost my sense of gratitude um, that God would save me. There was nothing about me that you would have thought warranted having me in the kingdom. But God knew better. He knew who I was deep inside. He knew what I was capable of. And he had a plan and purpose for my life, just like everybody here. The fact that God never gave up on me now compels me not to give up on people in my world. I love Jesus Christ, I love his church and I passionately believe there is no hope for the world outside of Christ. I do not think that there's anything other than band-aids to be found outside the love of God and outside having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to talk about tonight is um, in addressing the subject of engaging the world, I'm going to cover off on what, why, who and how. What does it mean to engage with the world and who should we be engaging with? Why should we engage with the world and who should be doing that engaging? And how do we do it? How do we actually engage with the world? When I talk about the areas that I'm going to cover off on, I'm going to say a lot of, you should do this, we should do that, that sort of thing. It's not directed at you, it's directed at me just as much. Okay. And at work, we have what we call stretch targets. Stretch targets are targets that are just a bit out of your reach. You can't actually just work, Just grab them. You can't just sort of say, oh, that's what I'm going to do and do it. You've actually got to push yourself. You've got to stretch yourself. So these sorts of things that I'm going to talk about are stretch targets. They're not necessarily things we do naturally, although we might do some of them. So much to say, where am I? Specifically for the purposes of our discussion tonight, we're going to focus on what it means to engage primarily with the non Christians in your world. So when we talk about engaging with the world, it's not absolutely everybody. It's the people you know. It's the circles you move in. It's your family. It's your church. It's your sport. It's your work. It's your school. Your study. Everywhere where you have a bit of an ongoing connection, that's your world. That's your direct sphere of influence. So much the same as most people in my world, my extended family has many non-Christians. I have lots of brothers and sisters-in-law who are not Christians yet. I have lots of nieces and nephews who are not Christians yet. And as you're probably well aware, everybody who's seated in church isn't necessarily a Christian yet. There's a lot of reasons people come to church. And I don't know about you, but the majority of my friends are not Christians yet. I have... I have friends from church. I have um, friends from previous churches we've been in. But the bulk of my friends are not Christians. I'm probably the only Christian in my workplace. And that's what it's like my entire working career. At various points, there might have been one or two others, but not very many. My boot camp that I go to three times a week and do boxing and um, weightlifting... There's no Christians there apart from me. There was. My daughter and my daughter-in-law were there, but they're having a little holiday. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is the bulk of the world that I move in is not Christian. And that's, I would say that's the same for most people here. So that brings us some challenges. God's taken a lot of time, effort, Resources and manoeuvring to place you in the world that he has with the people you move with. And he's done that for a reason is because we need to engage with our world. We need to be deliberately, confidently, and purposefully engaging it with our world, not just wandering around haphazardly. We're ambassadors for Christ, we're on a mission from God, we have all of heaven's resources at our disposal, and it's life and death. When people die, They're going to go to heaven or they're going to go to hell. It actually makes an enormous difference what we do out there in our world. We're compelled to engage with it. So why should we engage with the world and who should be doing that engaging? Short answer, it's our job. It's your job, it's my job. We're here to be salt and light. No Christian is excused from this requirement. It's in our job description. And just in case you think it doesn't apply to you, Matthew 5.13 makes it plain. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavours of this earth. Barry talked about lots of other things that salt does this morning. And it's true, all of these things. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be a light, bringing out the God colours in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. Every one of us who names the name of Christ is called to be salt and light it's in our job description you are called to be the source of light and life in your world so life is tough the world is full of confusion inconsistencies unfairness hardness tragedy and pain and outside of Christ what chance does a person have I'd say they have nothing that's my view they think they have and it works for them for a while but in reality, outside of Christ, they have no chance. People need Jesus now so that they have the opportunity to live the best life possible. And they need him when they die so that they don't spend their life in their eternity in hell. When you get the opportunity, share your testimony stories with those in your world. Not just how you were saved, but the good, many good and miraculous things that God's been doing in your life on a day-to-day basis don't just save it up for the big things use those small examples every day that God's done and use those to talk to people Um, yeah if you just major on the majors you'll find they may not connect with what you're saying but if you talk about the day-to-day in your life guarantee they'll connect How do we engage with the world? Well, the short answer for that is that we do this by being Jesus Christ in action. We do it by being the very best version of who we really are in a range of different contexts. We do this by knowing who we are and who we belong to. We are Christians and we belong to Christ. We come from a place of absolute security and that our identity is found securely in Jesus Christ, no other. So there's many different ways we can model Christ to our world. I listed out three, but I've really only got time for one. <laughs> so I'm going to focus on the one that I think was actually the most important. It's to treat others as we would like them to treat us. So in the message, Matthew 7:12, here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourselves what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you're not sure how you'd like to be treated, I've got some starters as suggestions. Be authentic, loving, understanding, respectful and peaceful. Be an authentic Christian. Don't pretend to be someone you're not. Don't don't, um, do anything other than keep it real. Don't be afraid to let people know that you too have issues in life, but don't empty out your whole basket of dirty laundry for them to see. Choose areas that you feel that you'll have that connection with them, that they'll understand and that you can respond and that it can open up an area of um, ongoing conversation. Be kind and loving towards others, even if you might find that challenging on occasions. Exactly like you, they were made in the image of God and they should be treated exactly as you would like yourself treated. Endeavour to understand someone else's viewpoint, even if it contradicts your own. You don't have to agree with them, but you do have to find some common ground in your life experience with them. There is always something that you can share with that person. There is some aspect of their life that you have in common with them. Look for that. Don't look for the areas where you disagree. Focus on the areas of agreement. Take your time to listen carefully to what is really being said. Not just the words that the person's saying, but the underlying meaning of what they're saying, what they're actually trying to say to you. Listen to those hidden clues as you go along. Be respectful of others' views and peaceful towards them, even when they're intolerant of your views. I can tell you in the workplace, most people are intolerant of my views. I don't know how it goes down for you, but there's not a lot of room for tolerance of Christian view at this point in time. However, don't be a cringing Christian, nor be an arrogant pain in the backside. Don't be this person who knows everything and thinks everybody else has got to benefit from your wisdom. (laughs) The message you convey when you do that is that the other person has nothing of value to say and nobody likes to hear that. You don't like to hear that and so you need to have that perspective when you're dealing with others. Be confident in who God is, who he's made you and in his truth. However, never lose clear sight that others are just as entitled to hold and assert their views as you are to hold and assert that yours. If you want them to listen to you, you need to listen to them, usually first. (laughs) Um, Be confident. Oh, yes. Be peaceful towards others. Don't go picking fights. If you see someone talking about something in front of you and you can let it pass over, let it pass over. Don't go go picking a fight. It doesn't usually end well. um, ah, I've lost my place again. Sorry about that. Uh, Be proactive. Pray and ask God to help you develop reasoned responses for the views that you hold on some of the more potentially contentious social issues that are around us at the moment. Here's a couple of current problem areas. Gay marriage, euthanasia, immigration, transgendered identity, raising children, social welfare. They're areas that we have a tendency to conflict with the world on. So don't wait until someone asks you for your opinion. Be proactive. But that doesn't mean be proactive in getting your point across. It means be proactive and spend considerable time thinking and praying about these things in advance. Consider what the Bible does say about these topics. Think about the views your non-Christian friends or work colleagues or classmates or even your family hold and what they might think and feel about these matters and consider the sorts of reasons they may have for feeling like that. Put yourself in their shoes and genuinely do that. Consider this. uh, Think about how they might feel or react to what you're going to say. If you know somebody's going to flare up when you say something, you really need to check yourself as to whether it's worth saying. Work through all of the potential arguments from both sides. Genuinely try and see things from their perspective. Choose your words carefully so that they break down walls and build bridges, not blow up the bridges and raise barriers. (laughs) Think about how you might keep the doors open for future potential conversations on the topic. However, whatever it is you do choose to say, be respectful and courteous and loving when you say it. So in conclusion... If you haven't done it before, can I encourage you to take time and make a list of the various components of your world, your family, your friends, your work, your school, your study, whatever it is where you are, you find yourself on a regular basis, and then list down the people who are in those groups, pay particular attention, focus on the non-Christians. Christians get a fair amount of prayer, not to say we don't need it, but for the point of the exercise focus on the non-christians spend some time reflecting on the people who are in, within each of those groups think about them as people don't just think about them as sort of like objects of your prayer think about them as people think about the people who are, who are created in the image of god each morning before you go to work or school or each time you go you're going on an outing or you're going to sport Ask God to intervene in your days in, to, in ways that will, he will use you to bring people closer to him. Ask him to open doors. Ask him to provide opportunities so that you can ac- accurately reflect Jesus to these people. That's our aim. It's to accurately reflect Jesus. If people do not see Jesus in you, there is no way they're going to get closer to him. It's It's true that he does cut across and go beyond people and touch people supernaturally, but mostly he uses us. Season your conversation with salt and light. Do good. Be generous in every aspect of life. Be the source of light and life in your world. And finally, when you get the opportunity, do tell people about Jesus. Share your stories of what he's been doing in your life. um, Whatever you do though, don't give up on people. God never gave up on me. He didn't give up on you and he is not going to give up on those people who you engage with in your world. The kingdom of God is always open to whosoever believes in Jesus Christ. We all know that. But we do not know the point at which the people we're engaging with may actually choose to step across the line and choose Jesus Christ as their saviour.
0: That was awesome. And what I love about it is that it's real. And, uh, you know, Lynn wouldn't stand up here and share something that isn't herself. And I know that she models that every single day. So thank you for sharing that, but also thank you for living that as well. Um, Our next hero, our next legend, has done it all. Um, He is literally, like, he amazes me. Um, So my first memory of Peter McInnes was cramming 12 teenagers into his little red car. But don't let that disqualify him for what he's, from what he's about to share. Um, I, I can distinctly remember that. But he was in a band, um, so he was, you know, like a rock pig for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, he's been in this church for so long, and I've heard him share his heart so many times. And, uh, you know, we're incredibly blessed tonight to hear from the man, the legend, Mr. Peter McInnes. <laughs> Thank you, Brett.
2: Gee, my heart's racing after that little introduction. Hang on a sec, I'll get myself organised. How are we? Good? So Lynn and I had an agreed topic to talk on, and I actually forgot what it was. Um, so, but, but later on, I wrote something down. It's, it's similar. Um, so it's about engaging in the workplace. So I did get back on track a little. Um, but I'm probably just going to ma- more share stories and stuff and... Um, Isn't it great to hear two different uh, preachers on the same night? And I actually think that I might... um, That was awesome. And I just think I might pray and we'll go home. Jesus, we just pray that... No, just kidding. I'm not here to outdo. We're just going to work together and hopefully you get something from tonight. So what I was wondering is, have you ever thought about what the best job in the world is? I've got a list of seven. I found these on an American website. So number one, the the top job in the world, is there any engineers here tonight? I think I saw two on stage. Obi, there he is, yep. Uh, Josh. Okay, so the top job in the world is a Disney Imagineer. So if you have an imagination and you're an engineer, you can work at Disneyland and create whatever you like so people have fun. Josh, you over, you in? Okay, that's the number one job. Number two, anyone like hugs and cuddles? I do, but that's from my wife and my kids and my mum. But anyway, you could be a professional cuddler. People travel the world and they make um, $50,000 to, to 100000 a year cuddles. Yeah, Some people get, you know, they just need a cuddle sometimes. You could go and pay someone for a cuddle. I'm going I'm to leave it there, though, because uh, it is a bit of a dangerous job. Um, number, number three is a bit isolated. It's a private, private island caretaker. So you get to live on an island, look after the island, cut the grass, look after the trees, and then just relax on your own island. Although it's not yours, but you're looking after it. that would be awesome. This is where, this gets me going now, a Ben and Jerry's flavor guru. You get to just taste and test and mix up whatever you like and try it out. What a great job. I love ice cream. Anyone like wet and wild? Okay, you could be a water slide tester. All you do is go down slides and check it for safety and I reckon that would be awesome. Um, Some of you guys are probably already doing this next one, have you heard of Netflix? You could be a professional Netflix watcher, 20,000 US dollars a year to sit in your own home and watch Netflix. Of course you've got to do a critique on what you watched and that would be pretty cool. Okay, I'm feeling a bit tired now. The last one is a luxury bed tester. You travel the world, go to luxurious hotels, and you sleep in their beds. And then you write a report on what you thought. That'd be great. I've always liked working part-time, although I've only had a couple of part-time jobs. But I reckon you could combine four of these, and you would have the best job in the world. (laughs) Let me go back. You could eat six hours of ice cream, six hours on the water slide, six hours watching TV, Netflix, and six hours sleeping. How awesome would that be? (laughs) To me, that's the best job in the world, all of those. So I'm not here to talk to you about helping you get a job tonight, although I do actually work in an employment service. Um, (laughs) So I want to help you and look at your approach to your work. What is your approach in the workplace? Yes, most of us do it so we prosper, so we can pay our bills and our mortgage. But I want to talk to you tonight about your uh, being in the workplace and what is your purpose. Yeah? So we're not just there to prosper, but we're there for God's purpose. And so what is his purpose? I want to talk about you being in the workplace to bring a positive change, you being there to achieve what God wants you to do. Um, So that's where we're headed tonight. But my first job was working at a chicken shop. Anyone else ever worked at a chicken shop before? Greg, I need you to put your hand up. Brody's. I worked at a chicken shop. Oh, you did as well. I only lasted one day. I had to... I had to put the greasy chickens on the steak and I, on the pole. I just couldn't get them on there quick enough. So I, I lost that job. <laughs> after, uh, after school, I managed to get an apprenticeship. And um, I kept that job for three and a half years. And then I got in as a tradesman. I worked as a tradesman for quite a few years. And then I became a labourer, and then I became a forklift driver, a factory hand. So yes, Brett, I have done it all. I've worked in every, almost every job except... A cuddler. (laughs) I have worked as a youth worker in fact I had three jobs on the one go on the during the week I worked during school hours uh, with the Department of Families working with kids in schools Uh, of night I would go and do overnight work as a factory worker and on the weekend I worked for a drug and alcohol withdrawal service for young kids so I was a residential youth worker so I did three jobs at once so gee I was busy and then I got married and Sharon didn't like me doing night shift, so I chose one job, and that was a, as a work for the dole supervisor. Don't throw rocks at me. It is a good project. Um, I worked there for uh, probably about six years as a work for the dull supervisor, and then we went overseas, and I worked as an English teacher. Not that I am a good teacher, but I did it. Um, so we worked in Japan for two years teaching English, and then finally I came back, and I now work in the employment service, helping people find jobs how's that for a work history um and i came back to yes so in all of my jobs i've always asked the question god what is your purpose having me here what am i doing in this job and i've always looked to do god's purpose yes i've enjoyed the money coming in and i've paid my house and i'm trying to pay off other bills but i've always wanted to know god what do you want me to do here i came to ipswich you know when i was 21 years old a couple years ago and i I had to line up at the CES office. Anyone know what CES is? It's today's Centrelink. So I had to line up there and try and find a job. And back then, you'd go to the board and you'd pull off a little card and you'd go and apply for it. Wow, haven't things changed? You can do it all on your phone. Anyway, so, but who would have imagined 20 years later, I now manage three offices and I have 15 staff helping people find work? How does that happen? It wasn't my plan i think i had other plans but with me allowing god to work through me in every position i've had and allowing his purposes to unfold he's just created the next job and then the next job and and now i'm where i'm at today all because of god's purposes and me wanting to follow his his hand um, it's happened by god's design and His leading and then you know we've got to make choices i could take a dead-end job and stay there or i could look to the next job but how can i progress so I've made choices along the way and I've been obedient to God. I believe that God's purpose for the church is to engage in our workplace, to be there and to be a positive example in our city and in our community. And I believe that God positions us to make life better for people. That's why I do the job I do is, yeah, I want to help people get a job. But I also believe once you get a job, life gets better because you've got money, you can pay your bills, your kids get a good role model. So that's one of the reasons I do my job. But what I believe the church is here for is the same thing, to make life better for people. How much better can your life be if you have Jesus in it? So if you don't know Jesus, you're just here tonight because you've come to hear me. Uh, Not that you knew I was here. But but if you come tonight and you weren't really sure why you're here, life gets so much better with Jesus. Get a job, that's great. Get a haircut. And um, get Jesus and life will be so much better. Okay, so I'm going to move down. So God wants you to be a positive... In your workplace, you could be there and make a positive decision one day that'll affect your company. You could make a positive decision that'll affect a life. You could um, yeah, get a job one day where you're the mayor of the city. Apparently, that position's vacant. <laughs> Greg, you... No? I had to throw that in there, i You know, possibilities are endless of where your life could be. Do you want to be an influence in your workplace, whatever job you have or you do, you're going to have next? Tonight, I want to look at a man that allowed God's purposes to be the main driving thing in his workplace. Um, God often calls people, and then they change. If you read through the Bible, there's many stories of people that God has called, and they've changed changed people's lives. They've saved their nation. You know, we heard about this morning about David. You know, why would God choose David? He was a shepherd boy. <laughs> You know, then there's um, Gideon. He's hiding out in a wine press. Why would God choose him? He's hiding. He's not keen on doing much. What about Jonah hiding in the belly of a whale with Nemo and Dory? Trying to find P52 Sherman Way, Sydney. (laughs) You know, why would God choose these people? What, What about Mordecai? What about Peter? He's gone fishing. Hang on, I didn't say anything about Mordecai let's go back to that guy I want to talk about him does anyone know who he is so who's the bible scholar here? how do you say is it Mordecai or Mordecai I'll go with that one not sure if there's the American influence I've had Mordecai sounds American does anyone know who Mordecai is yep so the first mention of him was that he's uh, working in the king's courtyard he's an attendant that's a pretty cool job Maybe not back then, but sounds like a big good one now. Just sitting around. They had no phones. Tim, they had no phones. They, <laughs> uh, they had no tea. <laughs> Sorry, I love picking on you, mate. <laughs> Does anyone remember the first time I got up and did the offering and Tim introduced me? He couldn't remember my name. <laughs> so there's no tv to watch netflix or anything they're just there all they can do is listen watch and talk so what a great job anyway so mordecai is there sitting there listening and he overhears two men plotting to kill the king he's not i'm not having this mordecai was a faithful man everyone say faithful. faithful he was a faithful man so he was faithful to his employer and so he went and told his cousin who was the queen all about this so those two guys were gone and Mordecai's name was written. Whoop. Mordecai's name was written in the king's book. There you go, he's got a tick already because he was a faithful man. Sometime later, the king decides to employ uh, another guy called Haman, and he is above all the princes of Persia, and so he's a very important person, and he expected everyone to bow down before him. But not everybody did. Because Mordecai was not only faithful, he was fearless. He would not bow to some some guy he would only bow down to God because he was a Jew. So he's faithful, he's fearless, and he's prepared to stand up at the cost of his own life. So Haman decides, you know, I, you know what, I hate Jews. I actually hate this guy more, so I'm going to kill them all. So he plans a way to get rid of all the Jews and to get rid of Mordecai. But Mordecai is not going to take it. He is fearless and he stands up and he goes to his um, cousin. This is the, the famous words you've probably heard, Esther you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this what are you going to do about it so he encourages his cousin to stand up as well so he's now a fearless man and he gets his cousin to go to the king and then the king saves them all and haman gets hung um and everybody's happy so he's faithful he's fearless and you know what happens he gets promoted he becomes the actually i'm going to read this he's so promoted that he gets haman's house Haman, you're out. Mordecai's got your house. He gets his position. I'm searching for it. I've gone on without notes. Okay, verse 15 of Esther, chapter 8. I'm going to go here. Verse 15 of chapter 8 says here, he went out from the presence of the king, this is Mordecai, in royal apparel of blue and white with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple that sounds impressive doesn't it wow how'd you wearing that today no you probably be laughed at but back then that was very impressive he's got a big crown he's got purple he's dressed in blue look forward to Wednesday night um, and, and, and with a great crown of gold and then the city rejoiced how's that this guy is just working in the courtyard minding his own business not long later he's dressed in all of these colours, with a crown, and he's basically, verse 10, says that Mordecai was second to the king. So not only do I want to talk about living for God's purposes in your workplace, but if you do that, God's going to prosper you natu- naturally. Don't look and chase after prosperity. It'll come naturally while you're doing God's purposes. Yeah, I can attest to that. Others can attest to it. Mordecai can attest to it. He's now second in the country. How's that? A Jew in a... Uh, what do you call it he's been taken into slavery is now second in the country god was looking after him and thus saved all the people of israel so i want to say that um, engaging in your workplace can cause you to be get promoted it can cause you to save many people and influence many people so both lynn and i want to encourage you to do that tonight is be in your workplace and be someone who has an influence Okay, so I'm gonna finish with three things. Three strengths that I see in Mordecai. That he was faithful. Everyone say faithful? Want you remember these? He was faithful. He was fearless. Everyone say fearless? And he was a follower. Say follower? He was a follower of God's purposes and made life better for people. He made life better for his whole nation. My aim in my life is to be faithful. I, I do the best I can in my work to my staff and to the people that need out my help and to my boss and to god i I endeavor to be faithful i endeavor to be fearless i have to make decisions that people don't like gee i get a few complaints but i've got to be fearless fearless as well when i have to stand up and say what i need to to direct people if it needs to be done and sometimes in the case of slipping something in about god i have to be fearless i don't want to get in trouble but sometimes you've got to say the stuff that they need to hear in the right attitude with respect <laughs> um, you know let that be you in your workplace even this week um, most days I go to work and I pray God use me this day for your purposes not for my own not for you know Just a, sometimes it's just a random prayer I pray or I just say it so much and sometimes I really believe it and this week because I've been preparing I, God I really believe this use me you know for your purposes and I had one of my staff come in and they just sat with me for a little bit and, and say so, hey look I'm going through a lot of home. I've got family issues. Um, you know, I've got a court hearing this week. Yeah, I'm not going to be in for the rest of the week. So what am I to do? I just, okay, um, I'll let you go. Um, I'll, we'll, we'll put in some annual leave and you can go. Um, later on, I get a text back. Hey, my mum's a born again Christian and I know you are as well. I've never said a word to her. I just live my life before her um, so they can see how I am. And she says, I know you are as well. Um, but can you pray or whatever it is you do because I really need help I really need a miracle so this is coming from her I've not said a word to her I've just been there as an influence um, being faithful, being fearless and she's recognizing the words that she needs she needs a miracle so I've been praying this week and I go back tomorrow to find out what's happened but I want that to be you in your workplace wherever it is in the chicken shop wherever it is being a cuddler wherever it is whatever you do being in a hospital do what you have to be faithful be fearless and help people make life better for people i'm going to pray thank you let's pray lord jesus we just thank you for both the words that lynn and i have spoken tonight we thank you that you have a plan for all of us you place us in our work in our families in the people around us to be faithful to be fearless and to lead people to you lord we just pray you'd help us to make life better for people lord and i also pray for people that tonight that may not know you i just pray that they would sense something in the worship tonight sense something in the words that have been spoken tonight and they would be drawn to you lord we just ask that life would be better for these people tonight lord we just thank you now in jesus name amen thank you come on out Brett. amen let's thank
0: pete